You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Hello, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, and once again, we have a week where energy industry rarely leaves the front pages of the paper. We've had rising prices, rising consumer bills. We've got more reaction from the Finkel Review, a headline from the Financial Review, which I never thought I saw, I would see, sorry, which is uh, wind and solar costs falling down so far that it would be actually be good for industry and maybe a boost for manufacturing. And of course, at the same time, at the same time, we've got people proposing more coal plants in the Latrobe Valley and in North Queensland. Helping us to make sense of all this is, as usual, David Leach from ITK and a Renew Economy contributor. How are you, David? Very well, thanks, Giles, and good evening to all of our listeners. Good evening, or good morning, or good day, uh, whatever time they're listening. Look, joining us today is also uh, Simon Corbell, the former ACT Energy and Climate Change Minister and now Renewable Energy Advocate for Victoria. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Thanks for having me, Giles, and hello, David. Simon, take us through what's going through the minds or what's going on in these meetings at COAG, because you sat in those COAG ministries for quite a while, for, for many years. Right now, though, we're going through an extraordinary period in the energy policy and the energy industry. I mean, big pressure on consumer bills, a big shift in technologies, the Finkel review, and people clinging to the past, it seems to me. Well, I think uh, when energy ministers get together in the next week or so, there will be two things that uh, they'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, the first will be exactly how can they try and find some clear middle ground in what is already a highly uh, pragmatic uh, environment when you look at the recommendations of Finkel. Uh, Finkel obviously is a report that's trying to find a political compromise for the highly contested renewable energy and and climate change wars that we've seen over the last decade. State and Territory Ministers, I think, will be keen to see whether there is scope for a genuine agreement to be reached. And the reason for that, of course, is that all of them are facing the challenges of increasingly compromised electricity networks where price rises are hitting not only consumers, but also manufacturing sectors in particular, uh, and they're facing the real risk of uh, some uh, real reliability problems heading into next summer. So they'll be genuinely seeking, I I feel, um, where the opportunities are for common ground, but they'll also be having an eye to what is being played out at the federal level, and in particular, whether or not the federal coalition government will be in a position to actually mediate and moderate its own position to present a a pragmatic, practical and acceptable outcome that Labor jurisdictions in particular, but not just them, all jurisdictions at a state and territory level are willing to sign up to. Yeah, look, I mean, you you described it as a political document. Are you disappointed that it's come out as a political document or do you think that's necessary to try and cut through to some sort of agreement? Look, I have very mixed feelings about Finkel in this respect. I can understand why after nearly a decade of uh, complete inertia on this subject with basically uh, one government undoing the work of the previous government and so on at a federal level, that there needs to be some pragmatic 
way forward that at least delivers some progress and some sense of, uh, of stability. But at the same time, when you have a review of the national electricity market, that fails to have regard to the potential for emissions reduction that is much more feasible in the electricity supply sector compared to other parts of the Australian economy, and a document which fails to chart a pathway that's consistent with the international obligations Australia has entered into following the Paris Agreement, it is a very mixed bag. Uh, so uh, I hope that there is at least some scope uh, for consensus and for coming together on some of the key issues that need to be addressed. But I remain sceptical about what the real motivations are here within some in the federal coalition who seem to be wanting to retrofit technologies that are increasingly uh, facing, um, facing a phase out because of the economics of new power generation. And I guess that's one of the frustrating things um, that um, we we don't seem to be moving forward. Um, I had hoped that Finkel would actually be a bit of a leap forward to what could be possible, uh, a grid 2.0, if you like, you know, and taking up some of the theme that um, he addressed in his initial report. And um, also in the, um, that was outlined in the CSIRO, this seems to me to be um, little more than business as usual. And I think that might have come out in one of the analyses done by Hugh Sadler, for the Australia Institute, which pointed out that the state-based targets, and particularly the Victorian and the and the Queensland one, would probably take us to a higher level of renewables than um, this proposed clean energy target. Um, so I'm, I'll come back to you on that one, but I just want to bring in Dave in, David here. Um, David, you went to this battery storage conference um, this week where Finkel was a major topic of conversation. What, what were your main takeaways from this? Well, I, I guess for the battery storage thing, I, I, I guess the focus was on the various roles of storage that we're going to see, the various forms, it's going to be batteries for frequency control at the utility level and lithium batteries behind the meter. But then there was also a lot of discussion on stuff like uh, pumped hydro and how it could do the long duration. And it was very exciting in, in one way to see Energy Australia so clearly keen on putting uh, the, only the world's second uh, saltwater pumped hydro plant into South Australia and looking very much like that's going to get the go ahead. However, when I think about some of the big assets that are going to be for sale in the market over the next couple of years, and talk about COAG, they're going to be doing some negotiations with um, in between the federal government and New South Wales and Victoria, for instance, for the sale of uh, Snowy. And you try and work out what that pumped hydro is worth today. I'm, I'm not sure it's actually worth very much because I don't think we need very much balancing in the market. And this is one of Finkel's uh, more stupid ideas, this idea that every every renewable energy plant needs to have its own uh, dispatchability built in. Mm. And I think that's a typically political thing that, you know, the, the um, people, anti-renewables people have seized on. Uh, and, and it's sort of good in, the, good in the bad way. It's good because it makes Finkel more politically saleable, even though it's completely dumb. Yeah, look, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, Simon, what's your take on that um, on that, that battery storage? I mean, we obviously need battery storage, and Victoria's actually going about um, holding an, an auction for 40 megawatt, 100 megawatt hours. But this idea of actually making it mandatory for each and every wind and solar farm seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? Well, it really strikes me as a, a case of gold plating. Uh, you know, we've been critical of gold plating in the past in our electricity networks, um, and this would be a very serious case of, of gold plating and completely unnecessary. What, what we do need to focus on is the need for sufficient dispatchable capacity inside each and every region to make sure that the reliability and security of supply is maintained. 
uh, and that requires good network uh, planning. It doesn't require each generator uh, to have a, a level of a dispatchable uh, supply available. Um, are we going to mandate that for large coal and uh, gas-fired generators when they suddenly switch off uh, for whatever reason, whether it's because of very hot weather or uh, insufficient fuel or whatever it may be? Yeah, so that's exactly it, right. And we saw that happen quite a few times in the last summer, didn't we? We have, and no one's talking about you know retrofitting those plants with, with what would be very large uh, battery uh, battery capacity. I mean, yeah. batteries storage generally has a critical role to play, um, but let's do it in a smart way. And I think to be fair, uh, Finkel hasn't necessarily uh, said that they need to be you know immediately adjacent to each renewable energy generator. Some people have extrapolated that. From the report, um, but I hope that uh, sanity um, is uh, is maintained on this issue, and that we recognise that you know we can achieve the best of both worlds. We can continue to drive down the cost um, of uh, supply from large-scale wind and solar generation, and at the same time we can make sure that the batteries are in the right place at the right time, and that's to uh, to meet those reliability and security of supply standards and. That's exactly mm. what's happening in Victoria right now. The, the Victorian government has taken a very strategic decision to, to focus on battery supply in those parts of uh, the Victorian NEM region, which are uh, potentially uh, weaker, uh, and make sure that the batteries are there to, um, to provide that additional security and reliability. And I think that's, that's the way we need to proceed uh, across uh, all parts of the NEM. So, so if I could just jump in there, it's it's interesting to me because one of the other things that came out of this battery storage thing was the fact that uh, uh, Tassie Hydro, never mind the pumped hydro, if they just filled their dams up, they could they could hold ten percent of annual NEM demand, and it would, but they, that's not much use unless we build a billion dollar transmit second transmission line to Tasmania, and one of the things that's uh, been coming through. Simon, I guess to an extent, I wondered how concerned you were about it was that whether there's actually enough transmission in, in Victoria for, for the renewables that you that we need and whether yeah. we shouldn't have some better transmission planning all around as one of the ways of just dealing with this reliability issue in the short and long term. Look, transmission planning, David, just critically important. It's certainly a, an emerging issue in Victoria, as it is in a number of other jurisdictions, where uh, obviously the existing uh, transmission networks were not planned or developed in a way that had regard to the the solar and wind resources and and where they were located in geographically within the state. Uh, we've seen uh, we've seen that issue start to emerge uh, in Victoria, uh, and it's going to need to be an issue where further work is undertaken. And that's certainly I know something the government uh, is very strongly focused on because you know, the best solar resources obviously in the northwest of the state. Uh, but the uh, transmission lines that uh, take that electricity down to to Melbourne, of course, weren't designed to, to take electricity in that direction, but equally they aren't particularly large transmission lines. So there's already significant emerging constraints on those lines and there will need to be a, a much more proactive assessment. And I think the way we need to think, be thinking about this and something that perhaps wasn't well highlighted in the Finkel review was the uh, changes to the regulatory uh, investment test environment for transmission infrastructure. Uh, I mean, that that regulatory test, uh, uh, the so-called RIT-T test, as it's known, um, doesn't adequately have regard to uh, what is potentially possible to be pulled forward in terms of renewable energy uh, development if there is additional transmission capacity available. And that's a, that's a crazy 
parameter for the uh, regulatory investment test for transmission and one of the key areas um, which really is ripe for reform. Here, here. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And, and, and maybe throwing a little bit of the environmental considerations into um, um, a lot of those regulatory tests and procedures too, I would have thought would have been a good thing. Um, the, um, the the Bloomberg um, commentary is, is interesting. One of the central me- measures of the Finkel review was that um, going forward, the cheapest option is going to be undoubtedly wind and solar, even with battery storage. And the Bloomberg review came out and said, well, look, it's actually going to fall faster than even what the Finkel review contemplates. And it's actually going to be cheaper than refurbished coal plants. Yet that message just won't get through. It just seems to be the phrase that people are reluctant to say. What will it take, do you think, Simon? Uh, well, I think it's I think it's happening right now, Giles, when you look at what's happening across uh, jurisdictions. Um, increasingly, um, the market itself, and in particular large-scale energy purchases, electricity purchases, are starting to see the, the benefits that come from their direct investment in large-scale wind and solar. Uh, exposure of manufacturing industries, both existing and or new proposed uh, uh, developments in jurisdictions, understand that, that gas is a major problem for them. They're not going to get their projects off the ground or be able to maintain their operations if they continue to uh, be exposed to that volatility. So they themselves are starting to invest in large-scale uh, corporate uh, wind and solar uh, plants. Absolutely. And, and, and we've seen that with Sun Metals and Telstra. Sorry to interrupt. Absolutely. And, and this trend, I think, is going to continue uh, and is going to be particularly important, not just for uh, new uh, expansions of industries or start of, of new industries, but uh, simply to maintain business as usual for existing industries. So I think that that's the message that's that's coming through, and that more than anything is sending the signal that industry itself sees where the economics of energy are uh, and uh, recognising the need to invest. But but I think that just to add, if I can very quickly, the key issue will be uh, how much of that is potentially available to pull forward the amount of uh, upfront capital investment that we need for a significant new build of renewable energy generation. Because right now we're still seeing a sufficient deficit, uh, a significant deficit, I should say, in the amount of new generation that is being built compared to what we need uh, with the exit of coal-fired generation. And uh, what mechanisms are going to be available to underpin that that upfront capital investment? And I'm not sure that corporate PPAs on their own are going to be sufficient, although I think they will be a significant signal to the rest of the market about where the economics of energy is at. David? Yes, so I agree with what Simon was saying. I was, In fact, I was just doing some numbers on that and um, even allowing for the fact that South Australia is going to be a net exporter, we still see gas as being requ- some gas being required as in every half hour on average, even in 2019 in the combined Victoria-South Australia market, which means that gas will set the price. And so this is where I, I think we have to come back to Simon and ask about the, uh, the Victorian uh, uh, scheme and how the legislation's going and, <laughs> and, 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 um, and the reverse auctions and, um, you know, see what the progress there is. So, Simon, where are we at with the uh, with the uh, Victorian legislation? I was very pleased to see uh, the Premier Giles uh, re-announce uh, the government's commitment to the 5,400 megawatt figure for large-scale generation by 2025. 
Uh, that's a very, very important target, 40% renewable by 2025. And right now, final decisions are being taken on the design of the auction uh, uh, framework, how it will be delivered, uh, the timing of, of auctions, particularly um, in the period leading up to 2020 and so on. So that work well and truly underway. I know that industry is looking very closely to see exactly what's going to be happening here. There's a lot of projects in the pipeline in Victoria, a very significant amount of large-scale wind and solar waiting and ready to go. And everyone is clearly looking for a strong offtake uh, arrangement. The uh, reverse auction scheme, the Victorian Renewable Energy Target, the VREP, will provide that. Uh, and uh, I'm hopeful that in the next next uh, couple of weeks or so, we'll see some important announcements from the government that confirm uh, this direction because it's, it's needed. Um, and without a, a long-term runway for investment, uh, then we won't see the level of new build generation that we need, either in Victoria or indeed in other uh, states uh, around the country. And I guess that's one of the um, the major themes that com has come out of Fincor is that we are still going to rely on the state-based initiatives because um, Fincor and this clean energy target and the current target from the emissions reduction target from the federal government simply don't take us beyond what you guys are doing already. And um, that yeah. would that seems to be a bit frustrating to me. Look, it is frustrating. I think perhaps it reflects, obviously, a much more conservative position on uh, the scope for renewables uh, in the in the NEM. Uh, but but critically important, I think, is we have to stop making the you know the the perfect the enemy of the good. Um, we can we can talk about um, the the ideal situation where we have a strong, coherent, enduring national policy. Uh, but I think even if significant elements of Finkel are adopted, uh, we still won't have uh, a completely uh, coherent uh, framework, particularly one that has regard to our, our long-term climate change uh, obligations. So, so, so addition, you, additionality you... is, is critically important still in, mm. in a federal system. So what, what, what would you hope that comes out of this then, that we actually get a mechanism put into place, which is a federal mechanism, meanwhile the states continue on their targets, and then finally at some point in time we actually get, we use that agreed mechanism to actually ramp up the targets and get serious as a nation towards those emission reductions that we actually achieve. Is that some sort of scenario that, that you, can, you think is workable? Yes, I think recognising that we need to get some fundamentals in place federally that everyone can agree. Uh, as, as long as the clean energy target is, is genuinely a clean energy target and not, not simply an energy target, which um, some, I think, uh, believe it should be by, by recognising such a low, such a high level of emissions intensity that coal or, uh, mm. comes back into the equation, for example. So we need, to, we need to avoid some of those pitfalls. But if we are able to avoid those pitfalls, then yes, we can ramp up the ambition over time. And equally, we need to recognise that states and territories are pursuing their own targets uh, for a range of reasons. One is certainly to speed the transition. Yet another is to keep electricity prices lower than they otherwise would be. But the third one, which I think is often missed, is that it's about seeing investment in the clean energy uh, economy. It's about recognising the significant economic advantages and being an early adopter uh, by supporting large-scale renewable energy generation. And we're really starting to see that ambition fire up now in Victoria, in Queensland, uh, in uh, New South Wales even. We're starting to see that ambition. And obviously, we've seen that for a long time in the ACT and South Australia. So yeah. um, these are these are key economic considerations for state governments, not just energy 
uh, energy policy considerations, as important as that is. I think we're up to six gigawatts now, uh, uh, Giles, of new investment that's basically either at FID. So, but we but we need more. We Lots do more. need more. And um, look, interestingly, um, you've actually put together or you're putting together a story in a graph. Um, and we will publish that graph um, on our podcast link. So um, if you um, if you have been listening to this podcast and um, but you haven't seen the graph, uh, just go back to the original link and you should be able to see it there. But David, it actually shows that there's an awful lot of um, standby generation that's actually in the system. A lot of it was um, brought into the system over the last 10 years. So we don't actually need as much sort of backup capacity as, uh, as many might think. Well, this is the point I was trying to say. Between Hydro Tassie, uh, between Snowy's existing stuff, between the existing coal and the gas, uh, I mean, we've got open cycle gas doing power and baseload power in Victoria at the moment, which is completely nutty. But as, as so we need more wind and solar to, to, re, to move that out of the system. But I, you know, I actually don't think we need any much in the way of extra balancing load for until we triple our renewable penetration. And we've got this huge fear factor at the moment that when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, which completely ignores the fact that all over the world uh, we're overcoming that problem uh, pretty steadily. Indeed. Okay. Okay. Um, and wind and solar costs are coming down pretty soon. So it'll be interesting, um, Simon, to see how you actually do frame that um, Victorian target um, and that auction system because um, they are coming down low and um, presumably the idea will be to lock in those low prices for the consumers. Yeah, that's very, very important, Giles. Um, there's no doubt that bringing more renewables into the system in Victoria will mean uh, lower prices than would otherwise be uh, seen in the Victorian market. Um, so this is this is exactly something that uh, fails to be uh, recognised by many commentators still, that seeing more renewables in the market means a better outcome for, for consumers. And that's a very key consideration for the government, uh, particularly, um, particularly given the uh, exposures that are currently there in the Victorian market, as they are in other markets. And we're seeing some of those prices coming through yeah. now. Um, but that can, we can... We can short circuit that if we pull forward renewables quickly uh, and we can pull forward renewables quickly if we provide guaranteed uh, long-term certainty around cost um, to allow that upfront capital investment to be made uh, and very clearly um, a reverse auction mechanism with a long-term uh, contract, uh, contract for difference mechanism such as that is proposed in Victoria uh, we'll see cheaper finance than will be realised, I think, under the RET, uh, as it is now, or indeed under a SET, uh, mm. if, if there is one so, in the future. So, Simon, I, so Simon, I think that's completely true. I think that's extremely, that's a fantastic thing that you did in the ACT, but and it's going to be true everywhere. But I just wonder, in, in Victoria, how will you then transfer the electricity that the Victorian government is buying through through to the people that are actually using the power? Well, the, the Victorian government will purchase the electricity in the same way the ACT government did. So it's purchasing uh, the LGCs um, and it, it may or may not purchase the, the black electricity outright or will simply just pay the, the CFD. Uh, and so it'll, it'll operate the same way, David, as, uh, as the ACT model. Okay. 
I need to study that ACT model some more. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> look, okay. Look, Simon, look, thanks for joining us um, today and or for this podcast. Um, it was um, fascinating to get your insight and um, good luck with your role in the Victorian government. And, and hopefully we do see some announcements in the next couple of weeks and, and hopefully we do actually see some of this change in rhetoric around renewables and around the cost of energy. And it just gets so frustrating from my point of view um, that uh, it seems blindingly obvious that wind and solar are the cheapest, but we can't get that to be recognised in many corners of the debate. And um, I presume you must be similarly frustrated. Uh, Well, frustrated, yes, but I think uh, the, the most important thing, Giles, is just to get projects on the ground and get them built. The more projects you get built, uh, the more generation, uh, renewable generation you get into the market, uh, the more the, the story speaks for itself. And I guess that's my very strong focus uh, as the renewable energy advocate in Victoria. And I'm very pleased that the government and, and the department are very focused on making that happen too. Good on you. So, Giles, and I might add in what's coming up. For me, it's the transmission statement of opportunities. You could hardly think of anything more boring. <laughs> and yet, as we as we saw as we saw in Texas in the ERCOT market, they they spent US seven billion on transmission, and it completely opened up that market to to all the wind in the, in the outskirts of Texas. We know that in New South Wales, the transmission doesn't get into the renewables areas, and the same thing is emerging in Victoria. We've got all these projects. We've got six billion, six gigawatts of projects being built 12 billion dollars of investment already underway and that's without adequate transmission so it's really important if in my opinion if we're going to get the next wave of this stuff uh, to make sure that we find a way to get some more transmission built and built fairly soon without the transmission it, it's we're going to run into a, a, a road okay. that, david i think we do definitely need to find better ways of of fixing that transmission problem well, that's one for we hopefully um, see that next week. And we've got one more week of federal parliament and yet more debate, no doubt, around the federal government. Um, next week, we've got the um, chief executive of Goldwind Australia, John Titchen, joining us. Um, Goldwind are going to be building the Stockyard Hill Wind Farm in Victoria. It's going to be the biggest wind farm in Australia and the cheapest at um, less than $55 a megawatt hour. And he's also building some solar farms and adding some storage. So it's going to be great to have insight, his insight into where we are and where we're going. So, look, I'd just like to thank um, Simon for joining us. Thank you very much, Simon. Um, and thank you very much, David. Thanks, Giles. Thanks, David. Uh, thanks very much, Simon. I'd like to add my thanks. And uh, thanks, Giles. What, what a pleasure this podcast is. It's fantastic. And we've been getting some great reception. We had a, we had a booth at the uh, storage conference in Sydney and everyone came past and just said, look, your podcast is fantastic. Really enjoy it. So thank you for all those people for, who are listening. Please tell your friends. Um, you can find it on pretty much any format now, I hope. And you can also leave a review. So once again, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.